We're going to talk about giving today, and, and uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there. Before I, we do, I just want to tell you, this church is a very generous church. And uh, when, I, when we talk about giving, so, some people are kind of funny. Uh, I've had people say, well, you know, I've been to churches where every other Sunday was a talk about giving. You never preach about giving. And, and I do the way I do with everything. I pick a book, and when I come across giving, I talk about it. Uh, and, but this church doesn't need a lot of extra talk about giving. You, you people are very generous. I don't know what other churches do, but I'm pretty sure when the missionaries collect their offering after they've been here and spoke, like Dave and Ashley did a couple weeks ago, was it last week? Yeah. Two weeks? Oh, man, time flies. Uh, I think they were very pleasantly surprised. Uh, by the gift they got, because I, I just, I, and I usually count up the money and hand it over. We don't keep a tally of that uh, and, and that kind of thing, but I mostly organize it and, and hand it over. And, and uh, I think they're usually, like I said, they're, they're pleasantly surprised. We give money to lots of things. Our budget is healthy, all those things. This church, you people are generous, and, and I think that is a, a trait that Christians are supposed to have. And I, and I want to commend you and do a pat on the back. One of the difficult things, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, by the way. You, we, we may be as good as we look. <laughs> Hopefully we're better than we look. But you know, <laughs> One of the difficult things about trying to be good is that you can be good for the, you can do the right thing and still do it wrongly, right? Uh, you can do the good thing in a bad way. Uh, other things are like that. For instance, if I have, if I need a mechanic, and I hire a mechanic to change the starter on my car. And, and he swears up a blue streak. And he's angry and he's frustrated and he's mad. But when he's done, at the end of the day, he's fixed my starter, replaced my starter, I pay him. I'm happy. He did what I hired him to do. Now, if he's singing praise songs the whole time and he's happy and he's, he's, he's confident, he's joyful, he's doing all that, I pay him the exact same amount, <laughs> right? It's like it doesn't make a difference to me because I hired him to fix my starter. And whether he does it with a good attitude and a, in an awesome way or he does it with a bad attitude in a terrible way, he fixed my starter. That's what I wanted him to do, right? That, that's the way some things work. But when we're trying to do something for God, nothing works that way. And certainly our giving doesn't work that way. When we're trying to do it for God, the attitude matters. The character matters. He, he cares about all those things. If you want to be righteous, attitude and character are everything. Faithfulness is everything. God rewards faith. And do you trust him to reward you in an adequate way? And that's kind of what we're looking at here. So, right? so, so let me read the passage. Matthew 6, verses 2 through 4. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they will be praised by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so today we're going to look at, at this whole principle applied to giving. We'll see that we are expected to give. We'll see that we must watch over our motives when we do so. And if we give to impress people, the fact that people are impressed is all the reward we're going to get. Uh, if we give to please God, our reward will come from Him. So I want to start with just verse 2 and say, you will give. Jesus does not leave you an option, right? He doesn't say, if you give. He says, when you give. When you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. It is not... 
If you're going to give, give this way. He assumes you're going to give. And this is the pattern he uses, by the way. There's the three religious activities, uh, our giving, our praying, and our fasting that he mentions, all three. He says, when you do, when you do, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And you go, I, you know, those first two I understand, but that third one, <laughs> we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Well, actually, we might not get to that too quickly at all uh, because time is flying. But, but uh, we will get to it eventually. Uh, if, if you're not giving, that's, and that's what we're going to focus on now, if you're not giving, you are disobedient, just flat out. And, and I said all those nice, wonderful things, but you might be that one person sitting there who goes, I'm protecting my pocket. You're not getting back there, preacher. You know, my brother, who's now not with us anymore, visited a church once, and he's up there, and they're talking about people giving money, and there's mission trips, and there's all these other things. He says, all they were after was my money. And you know, that's easy to see. Today, I talked about $10 a box times 101 stinking boxes. <laughs> that's a lot of $10, isn't it? Right? Uh, and, and if you come in with the thought of, if you come in with the, with the, the attitude that sees things that way, you go, he's after my money. He's after my back pocket. And that might be your attitude. Here's, here's the answer to that. If that's your thinking, then keep your money. I'm not, don't mean that in a snotty way. I mean, we, we do not want people to give who are giving grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. But I'm speaking to people who are in heart and soul supporting the ministry of these. We see that video of those kids. We hear the testimony of people whose lives have been changed. And we go, man, I want to be part of that. I can be part of that for just 10 bucks a box? Man, I would let, sign me up. And we're excited to do it. And that's, that's the kind of money that we're after. Uh, but, but if you're not giving at all, you simply say, no, I'm not going to, you are being disobedient. He says, when you give, it is assumed that you will. And, and frankly, when we start, I want to just attack some excuses people give. Uh, your age and your income are irrelevant to that statement. Okay? And you know who I thought of when I wrote that down, oh, teenagers? <laughs> not that I would actually want that to slip, but, but your age and your income do not affect God's expectation of you. He doesn't expect you to give what your parents give. You don't make what your parents make. He doesn't expect you to, to, to do things that they do, but he, I should say he expects you to do the same things, but on the scale of where you are, right? There is none of us that is exempt from that. There are, and by the way, this is true for most of us. I know it is true in my experience. There are times when instead of being the giver, I'm the receiver, right? That has been my lot in life on, on many occasions. There are times you will be the receiver. That's okay. I don't think, I hope it's okay because I've, I've been that person. Uh, I hope it's okay. But life is a moving thing right? Life is this thing that's constantly moving and constantly changing, and your situation in life is, con I, I would say it's a journey, but I don't like the word. It feels too new agey to me, you know? <laughs> but it's a true and accurate word. Life is a constantly moving, fluid thing, and, and your situation in life is constantly changing, and we live according to where we are. We give according to where we are. We do all those things, but we are always to be giving people. That is part of what we're supposed to be. And frankly, not all giving has to be financial, Right? Uh, uh, the root word for, for give to the poor that, that we find here, it says, and your version, version might say alms, right? So when you give to the poor, uh, it might say alms. When you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you. It might say something like that. But the root word for that give to the poor or alms is, is mercy. And, and the difference it has between your normal word mercy is that it implies mercy in action. 
right? Because mercy is, it, it can be a, an emotion. You can feel merciful towards somebody. When you put that mercy in action, then you have this word. And, and that's the root word, and it does mean giving charitably. It is taught, and especially when we look at the context here, it's giving financially, but it's giving financially out of mercy. It is an act of mercy. And your acts of mercy or your acts of compassion don't have to be financial. They can be other. In fact, uh, I've many times been at a place in life where I said, well, I don't have much money to give, but I can swing a hammer right? I can give that way. And, and, and that, is, I believe, qualifies as, as giving in God's sight. I, I, I think that we ha- it has to do with mercy in action, with acts of compassion. And like I said, the context here makes it really clear he's talking about financial giving. That is, that is the, the topic we're t- looking at. But sometimes, some of us are better able to give through our actions than we are through our pocketbook. That's just the reality of life and where we are. And just because you can't give financially at a certain time doesn't mean you can't give. And we should all be giving people. Christians are supposed to be giving people. It's one of the, one of the clear defining traits of the early church. Let me turn to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 43 through 47. He is defining the early church. Right? Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47. He's just given the message, the first Christian message at Pentecost, and, and he's talking about the response that came to that. So there's a brand new bunch of believers. There's 3,000 believers in the world. They're all right there in Jerusalem. It says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need, with all to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and and praising God. And they were giving, and they were sacrificially giving. They were selling their things so that they could give. Uh, that's the early church. It's the brand new church. It's one of the characteristics. It was a change. Moving forward, let's go to Acts chapter 6. The church is starting to get a little bit of organization about it now, right? Some, a little bit of time has gone by, and there's some organization going in, and, and they're getting things figured out, and we read this. Now, at this time, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. You say, what's that got to do with giving? Well, what is this daily serving of food? Apparently, the church was a food pantry or a food, a food kitchen. It was it, the, the, one of the things the early church did from the very beginning. In fact, it's the first source of controversy in the church was over, over the distribution of the charity that the church was giving out to take care of people's practical needs. And they worked it out and they solved the problem because it was important to them that they do this. The early, one of the earliest things we see the organized church doing is giving. Somebody is giving financially to provide the means for this soup kitchen to work, or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is mercy in action, the daily serving of food. So let's move to the book of 2 Corinthians. This is where we had our scripture reading from. And, and we read this, and, and one of the rules for understanding Scripture is we need to go where they are. They say, in order to read 1 Corinthians, you read it through the city of Corinth. In order to, read, to understand 2 Corinthians, we read it through the city of Corinth. So let's read uh, uh, this, this verse, this passage here, in the eyes of Corinth in 60 A.D. 
and he's talking about Macedonia in 60 AD. Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, I, I, you know, a lot of, lot of multisyllabic words there. <laughs> I, I like short words because I'm a little bit of a redneck. Uh, out, of, out of their poverty, they gave a lot, right? In the midst of their poverty. Uh, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you would sell in everything, in all not. Uh, faith, knowledge, speaking, and in all earnestness and love we inspired in you. See that you also excel in this gracious command. And he goes on. So he's describing what happened. He's talking to the people in Corinth about what happened in Macedonia. And he talks about their severe poverty. Well, what's going on in Macedonia? Well, this is, this is, he's referring to some specific people in a specific event. Macedonia is the area that includes the church in Philippi. Philippi is where Paul and Silas were beaten with rods, were put in prison overnight, and then were asked to leave the city. Right? And they left that city and they traveled and they went to Thessalonica where they were allowed to stay for three weeks before they were run out of town in Thessalonica, leaving this infant church. And they went down to Berea. And by the time they're down at Berea, they're not in Macedonia anymore. So what is Macedonia? It's an area where Christians are being persecuted. The small infant church is being persecuted for their faith. Persecuted churches don't have a lot of money. But these people have heard that they're taking up a collection for Jerusalem, and their hearts are touched, and they say, we want to do this. He says, wait a minute, guys, you're poor. Wait a minute, guys, you're under persecution. You don't have to do this. No, other people get to give. We want to give too. That's what they're saying. And he's saying, he's saying now, you Corinthians, who aren't going through any of that, <laughs> Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, right? He, he, was, he faced some troubles there, but he stayed there for a year and a half. They weren't facing the kind of persecution. They didn't have the kind of poverty. He says, now, I just want you guys to know, I don't want you to be embarrassed when you see what those poor people do. <laughs> I don't want you to be ashamed when you see their offering and compare it to your own. And what am I doing? He's... he's, he's, he's uh, He's kind of egging on the Corinthian church, but he's showing, he's showing, I want to come back to my point, he is showing the desire to give that is in the hearts of these early church people. These early believers, new in their faith, new in the, faith, new in the establishment of the church, they're not saying, well, this is what the church has always done, because the church is a brand new thing, right? It's, in that place, uh, it's, it's only like three or four years old by the time this is written. Maybe it's five years old, I don't know. But it's a brand new thing. These people are poor, but they are giving. And they're giving because they want to. They want to support this work. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. And Paul is, Philippians, Philippians uh, I love the, 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 the history of these things. Because uh, Philippians is what I was just talking about. I was talking about Philippi, the city with the Philippian jailer, where they, where they were beaten and, and chased out of the city, asked please to leave. And Paul is writing to Philippians to the Philippians a few years later. He is in Rome in prison now when he writes this letter. So, so maybe it's eight or nine years after uh, he had been there physically and those things had gone by. And he's reminding them 
of what they did for him. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And so he's saying, you guys were so good, you looked after me, even when I was just in Thessalonica. And you have to recognize, he went to Thessalonica right after Philippi. And he was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. It says, in, it says in, in the book of Acts, it tells us for three Sabbaths he reasoned in the temple, and then they chased him out of town. Uh, Steve's paraphrase a little bit, but that's what happened. And, and in those three weeks, this brand new baby church under persecution managed to send him support more than once. You go, how do they do that? They didn't have a post office. <laughs> you know, they didn't have UPS. They didn't have Wells Fargo. You know, they didn't have a way to wire it there. They had to send somebody to deliver that money, and they managed to do it that much that often. What are we finding? The Christians are supposed to be generous people, and historically, Christians are generous people. It's what we're supposed to be. Uh, he says, when you give, when you give, God blesses us when we give, right? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 15. It's just, it's just, you know, man, God proves this so true, so faithfully. Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one must do what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing the thanksgiving of this ministry." Uh, and, and he's talking about how he will, as, as we faithfully give to, to serve him, he will provide the means to continually do that. He's not saying you give and your pockets will be full and then you can just sit back and relax. He says so that you can continue, right? His, his words, uh, so that you will have abundance for every good deed, so that you can continue doing good things. Uh, he, he provides for you the means of doing that. He who sows generously reaps generously. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, he says, make sure, sure, he makes sure we have more to keep giving more, uh, and it results in effective ministry. And, and then we go simply back to where we started, to Matthew chapter 6. Aha, I kept my marker in there. <laughs> so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And, and the thing is, do you believe it? Do you believe God rewards you? And do you trust that his reward is sufficient to make it worth it? So it's like, yeah, but that's then, and I, I kind of want my reward now. <laughs> I kind of like, I kind of, if I give it up now and I don't get a reward till heaven, man, that's, I kind of, I don't know if I want to do that. Do you trust him? But coming back to where we are, you will give. And then he says, beware self-serving charity. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they will be praised by people. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. So he says, uh, as the hypocrites do. You know, a hypocrite 
Originally, the word meant actor, someone who pretends to be something that he's not or someone that he's not. And, and in their situation, they needed to look good to attain status. You know, if you are a Pharisee, uh, it's easy to blend in. They, they, there were not a ton of Pharisees. They estimate there were like 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Christ. Uh, you know, so there, there were a lot, but there weren't a super huge amount. And those 6,000 people had an inordinate amount of, of uh, uh, influence. Uh, they, they, they had that, that kind of, based on their ability to shame people or something. Uh, but, but if you are a Pharisee, it's important that you look like a Pharisee. It's important that people know you're righteous, because otherwise you're gonna, you're, you're, you might as well not be a Pharisee. Uh, and so they needed to, to give to attain status, and they needed people to know they were giving so they could have that. Normal people didn't need to do that. The, 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 the normal guy, he could give quietly. Nobody had to know because he, did, he didn't need to impress people. But the Pharisee, he needed to impress people. Uh, it, it, among the leaders, it was important to gain prestige. And so a lot like politicians do today when they toot their own horn and talk about all the things they've done, they display their credentials in public ways. Uh, you know, they, they have their voting records, they have their deeds done, they have the things that they're part of and all that. The Pharisees needed that kind of stuff. They needed to pad their resume. And giving was a part of it. So that's their situation. And, and I'll try to help us see how that applies to our situation, but I want to talk a little bit about this sounding of trumpets first. Okay, now, now, one of the problems with having a lot of commentaries is sometimes you read a lot of different answers. <laughs> and, and a commentary is simply a book that helps you understand the Bible. It's talking to someone who's studied more than you have and, and is writing down, is, he's respected enough to, to publish a book, and so you read what he has to say about it, and he might be right and he might be wrong. And on this subject of trumpets, everybody has a different idea. Uh, I mean, I have three commentaries I looked at, and all three had different ideas, but I'm going to go with the one I liked because I like it, right? Might be right, might be wrong, but I'm running with it, okay? Because it makes a lot of sense to me. Because so you go, where did the sounding the trumpets come from? Uh, why would they do such a thing? Well, actually, it makes a ton of sense if you want to be efficient. Okay, let me, let me compare it uh, to you are a relief driver dri driving, and you've got, you've got a, a semi-truck full of food or a deuce and a half or something full of food, and you are driving into a, an area that has uh, pretty much been devastated. And you want people to know where they can get food. So as you start driving into town, you start honking the horn. <coughs> right? Everybody for, for, you know, a mile around hears that, and they go, food! And they know where you're going, and they start running towards it, Right? You're not doing it so you can say, look at me, I'm doing an awesome thing. You're doing it so you can say, hey, food is coming to town. And they all know when they hear that horn sound, they can go get that food. It's a good thing to blow your horn. And of course, you know, because you see people smiling, they're waving at you, and you're the hero, and you, and you feel pretty good about it. <laughs> right? You're, uh, you're, you're, blowing the, you're not blowing your own horn. You're blowing the horn for a reason. But here's the problem, is it can transmogrify... <laughs> from a, something with a good and noble purpose to something with a very self-sounding or self-serving purpose. And that's what happened to these Pharisees. Probably, according to, um, now I can't even think of his name. Many of you would know his name if I could come up with it, but it's, anyway. Uh, uh, according to this, this uh, commentator, uh, that, that it started out with, with a, this, uh, a way of letting people know where they could get Aid. That he, he's coming, I'm coming to this place. I've got money to help the poor. Uh, 
you know, and, and people come, what, what's he doing? And he starts handing out money to the people who have shown up. Right? And so it had a, a noble purpose, or at least a good purpose. The problem is it so easily transforms into a look at me, and that's what it did. By the time Christ, he had no, by the time Christ is talking, he had no qualms about calling them hypocrites, doing it just to get attention. Whatever, however, if it started out as nobly as what I've described, and I like to think that it did because it makes sense to me. It explains how the thing came about. By the time Christ is addressing these people, there was no pretense or illusion of this is so that the poor can better know where to get help. It is a way of saying, look at me, I'm a giver. I'm giving to the poor, right? And, and then he gives out whatever he gives. And, and the funny thing is, is people who make a big spectacle of their giving tend to actually not give as much as the people who give privately and quietly. <laughs> That's a, a statistical kind of thing. Or maybe it's, it's simply a, a word of mouth kind of thing that may or may not be true, but it's, it's what, is, what is, it seems to be. What started out as a, a, a calling attention to the aid morphed into calling attention to the giver of aid. And the giver is not motivi- motivated by seeing the need and ho- knowing that he's helping people get by. He's motivated uh, by his peers who are watching him give, right, uh, and being able to say he's doing well. And, and the trumpets were not to notify the needy. The trumpets were to notify the other people who would see how righteous he is. And if the needy showed up, and of course they, they would because they're needy, uh, but they were secondary to his purposes, uh, and, and so the observers are out there holding their righteousness scorecards and giving him a 10 or a 9 or a 6 or, you know, whatever, based on how generous he is. And, and what is our modern equivalent of that? I'm going to start with the kids. Kids are, and I'm not criticizing the kids. I'm just saying they're really obvious because they're fun. Because at vacation Bible school, they bring in their money, Right? And, and, and some kids are bringing in, their, they got their money in their pockets, and they, and, and they have a roll of coins. You say, oh, good, a roll of coins. Then they break it open. You go, oh, no, because <laughs> now you have to count it. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, this little boy is, is dumping in his change, and this kid runs up and goes, I have a $5 bill. I'm giving $5. And all the other kids go, wow, he has a $5 bill. He's giving $5. And everybody's like, ooh, that's awesome. And then they get excited if it's a boy or a girl because... It's boys versus girls, you know, that really matters. But <coughs> and, and they're all excited about it, and the, about the giving. And, and that's okay, because we're just teaching them to give, right? They're starting to get the hang of it. They're learning that they give. Some of the subtleties about it will come eventually, you know, or at least we hope. <laughs> you know, we, hope we hope we aren't coming in and saying, hey, everybody, got a hundo here, putting it in the offering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, you didn't see that? Here, let me pull that back out. <laughs> Got a Benji. Uh, kids are fun because they, they make it obvious, but, but uh, as adults, we get a little bit more sophisticated. But somehow we manage to get our name on a plaque or reported in the newspaper. Uh, we were at a church once that had a tree up front. It was it looked like a, I don't know what kind of tree it was supposed to be. It's a broadleaf tree, and it had all these limbs and things out there, and it had all these lights on it. And I went up to the pastor, and I said, what's that tree about? He says, oh, that's our tithing tree. Everybody that tithes, we light up a light for them. And I thought, ah, I don't think I like that. It's like, it's nice to know that people are doing that, but it's like, how does somebody know what your tithe is? 
<laughs> it was like, I don't, I, I, it's just, it just made me feel a little bit uneasy, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it, and, and so do you give, make sure you give a tithe so that you can have a light and say, hey, you see that one on the far, far right next to the corner there? That's me. <laughs> oh, your light, my light's brighter than your light. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot comes from motivation, and that, this is what's really tricky about it, is, is I talked about this a little bit last week, is, is uh, you can't completely keep things quiet, right? Uh, we pass the offering plate, and I, and I really like the bag as opposed to the, to the tr- plate, because it does allow some secrecy, and if I need to, nobody really notices I'm pulling something out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it also doesn't jingle so much when you drop in change. <laughs> but but uh, it, it, it kind of helps with privacy, that kind of thing. But uh, you can't completely hide it. People, people have an idea. And, and sometimes it's like you give to promote a charity or in such a... For instance, um, I'm thinking about the blood bank. Dick and I are both blood donors. So, everybody look at me. No. <laughs> Once upon a time... When it was, it's now called Vitalant. That's the name of the, 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 the national corporation that has the umbrellas. It's no fun anymore. But when it was Inland Northwest Blood Bank, they always had uh, blood bank shirts in the summer. And they were nice shirts. And for a while, there were antique or uh, classic cars on them and stuff like that. And Dick and I would be walking down the street downtown, and we'd see each other and go, oh, you got last year's on. Yeah, I got it. And, and theoretically, I mean, they were good-looking shirts, but theoretically, they were to encourage people to think about giving blood, right? That, that's not a bad thing. But it could easily be, oh, you haven't got this year's yet, huh? <laughs> and, and it can become, and Dick's way too noble. He's not, he's not cold-blooded and cutthroat like I am. But uh, he doesn't know I was spitting on his shirt in the back. <laughs> no. Um, it, it can easily turn into a look-at-me kind of thing. And, and your motivation, are you, are, you, are you doing it for the right reason? Okay, are you encouraging others to give, or are you just making sure they know you give? You know, what is your motivation for doing it? Uh, making a challenge so that others know that you gave, right? So, so you call in and go, you know, you call into the whatever fundraising thing, and you go, I just want, my name is so-and-so, and I want everybody to, 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 to Pledge $100 because of this. And what you're doing is you're saying, I mean, you may be trying to encourage other people to give, and you may be making sure everybody knows you gave that amount of money. And, and it's your motivation that makes it right or wrong. Because there's only so much you can hide. And I think there's only so much. I think we can do contortions trying too hard to hide things. I'm, I'm not really sure on that. Charity auction, right? Charity auction, you buy something, you bid it up, you buy it, and then you turn it around. Say auction, put it back up for auction. Okay, you've you got a couple of possible motives there. One is you're giving other people, you're setting an example that you hope other people will follow. And I've heard of the same thing being turned around two or three times. Never actually done that myself. <laughs> it's like if I'm bidding that much, I want it, man. Uh, but uh, is, it, is it to raise money for the cause? Is it to promote that example? Then it's a noble thing. Is it so everybody says, oh, look at, look at, uh, Joe Blow over there, he sure gave a lot, and isn't he a good guy? Then it's not a noble thing. And, and it's like you're doing a good, you're giving the money, but your you know, motivation is so key. You know, because if you just want to give the money, you can do that quietly, right? 
Nobody needs to know. You could just give them the money if it's just about giving the money. And, and that would be better if your goal is to, to, to just look good. But if it's because you're trying to encourage others uh, and get more money raised for the cost, then that, all of a sudden it sounds like that's probably a good thing. It, it's tough. It's tough. So we go back to verse 1 of chapter 6. Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people. Beware. But remember, if you're, I'm going all the way back to last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, if Dave and Ashley were here last week. Uh, take heed. Oh, wait. No, I did speak last week. <laughs> Give thought. Thought is not a, not a warning like the sky is falling. It's not a panicked cry. It's a, it's a think this through. Give thought. Right? He's saying, be mature and responsible about this. Don't, don't be careless. Be careful, right? Uh, so that you're not practicing your sight, your righteousness to be noticed by people. The same reason we go back one whole chapter, we read, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And in order to let your light shine before people, they have to see your good works. <laughs> it's like, you know, so, so you, you see what I'm saying is there's a, there's a balance to this, and it's all about your heart. It's all about your motivation for what you're doing. Evaluate yourselves and do your giving well. If your goal is to please people, the fact that you have pleased people is all the reward you're going to get. That's what he says. You have received your reward in full. In other words, there's nothing left. There's no remaining reward to get. You have received it in full. Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charitable giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will repay you. Your best protection is secrecy. I mean, it's just frankly, and it's hard. I don't know how hard you're supposed to work at it, but it's hard. You know, most of us have something of a giving plan. I'm not saying we plan out all our giving. I've, I've tried that. It doesn't work. As <laughs> soon, as, soon, as soon as you lay out my, your giving plan and say, this is what I'm, I'm ready to give, God will hit you with, a, with something just to throw a monkey wrench in it and make you reevaluate. And, and, and uh, so you can only, you know, it's not an ironclad plan, but most of you have something of a giving plan. Not all giving should be planned, but some of it should. You know, what are we going to do this year, that kind of thing. And you hear that phrase, what are we going to do? It seems like something a husband shouldn't hide from his wife or a wife hide from her husband, right? You shouldn't say, oh, honey, uh, honey, why do we not have any money in the checkbook? Oh, I gave it to charity. Um, you know, I haven't paid the mortgage yet. <laughs> not a good thing. Uh, you should, in principle, it seems like the husband and wife should both be in on a giving plan that involves both the husband and the wife, you know, because you're husband and wife, a lot of time, it's simply more convenient to give by check than cash uh, in a lot of situations. And, and your name is on the check, right? You have to sign it. People are going to see it. But the more you can do to keep your giving secret, the better protected you are from wrong motives. It's just, it's just that complicated and that simple. Uh, I think we need to go to a reasonable amount of work to protect our motives. And one of the things that protects our motives is to give in secret. Uh, because if we do that, then nobody knows but God. And, and that's a good thing. Because the reward from God is the one you want. The reward from God is the one that, that matters. Do you want God to be pleased with you? I mean, it's nice to have people pleased with you. It really is. I like it when people like me. But, but God is the one that matters. And, and, and do you trust God? enough to say, I'm going to do the work to be secret in these things. Do you trust that his reward is, is 
sufficient. Because God isn't looking for a good mechanic. I mean, God can actually fix his own car. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's, he's not looking for the work. He's looking for the heart of the worker. That's what matters to God. True righteousness matters far more to him than any job he's ever given you. Right? Uh, in your giving, try to please him and don't worry about what people think. And, and you will be better off here and in eternity. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word on giving. And, and Father, I thank you for the opportunities you give us. I thank you for generous people. And Lord, I pray that this, this message is, is uh, a tune-up and a pat on the back, much more than a, a kick in the rear. Father, I just pray that people, that we, we as your people, give generously, that we give well, that we give thoughtfully, uh, that we give righteously. In Jesus' name, amen.